Welcome to Her Next Play's Power Chat Podcast, hosted by Sarah Wegman and Audra Emerson. At Her Next Play, our mission is to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. Sports build powerful leadership skills, and female athletes have enormous leadership and career potential. In our Power Chat Podcast, we talk to inspiring women leaders about sports, leadership, and careers. Well, welcome everyone. I am particularly excited about today's guest because she has been described as a disruptor, an influencer, trailblazer, data scientist, techie, role model, entrepreneur, overachiever, public speaker, and the list goes on and on. Tiffany Kelly is the founder and CEO of tech startup CuraStory and the first platform where NCAA student athletes and other influencers can control and earn money from video content. Tiffany actually started her career as a sports analytics associate at ESPN Stats and Information Group, and she graduated from Nova Southeastern University with degrees in statistics, computer science, and sports and recreation management. Because why get one degree when you can get three? She played volleyball at NSU and was a three-sport athlete growing up. As a champion for gender and racial diversity in STEM and sports industries, Tiffany is on the board of Sports Analytics Club Program, which actually provides STEM education with sports analytics projects for clubs in inner-city secondary schools. She is also an ambassador of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, Lydia Hill Philanthropy's If Then Initiative, working to advance women in science, technology, engineering, and math. And so welcome, Tiffany. Excited to talk with you. Hello. That's I said bio over. I probably did. Honestly, I don't hear it out loud that often. So that that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> Thanks you for having me. You have accomplished <laughs> a lot. So yeah. I all those words that um, others have used to describe you, but what three words or adjectives would you use to describe yourself? Oh, only three. Um, so I, I typically feel like I would describe myself with things that I love to do. Um, so a cook, like I love cooking. I'm obsessed with cooking. It's one of the only things I do that like gets my mind off of work and everything else. Yeah. Um, how else would I describe myself? Um, I'm a big family person. I um, talk to my family every day. Um, they kind of keep me grounded throughout everything in all of this. Uh, what else? I mm, <laughs> I I don't know. And I I guess I I love tech. Like I love innovation. I love learning things all the time. Um, and I think that that is largely within the tech community um and being able to throw things on the wall and, and seeing what fits so. yeah i love that yeah good well and i wanted to talk about tech and bi um i told you when we first met that i love business intelligence um and i actually recruited for it for years at target i'm amazed yeah. by that insight that data can provide and you know the stories that it can tell but for those who don't necessarily know what BI is, can you kind of explain the work that you do? Yeah, of course. Good question. So any 
job and what I like to call data work, um, there's three kind of moats, like three things that you could essentially do. So there's BI, business intelligence, data analytics, and those are the individuals that are looking at KPIs, key performance indicators for the business. Um, they're looking at um, all of this data and information, crafting stories from it, crafting insights, crafting, um, we should we should stop doing this, we should start doing this. Um, essentially taking those insights and being able to explain it um, and kind of dummying it down a little bit and explaining to all parties, all stakeholders um, in the company. That's kind of how it, I would explain business intelligence and data analytics. You have data architecture um, and data engineering, and those individuals are mainly focused on like APIs, database management, like warehouses, like storing large, large, large amounts of data. Because as everyone knows, the majority of time spent in data work and data science is making sure the data is just clean and um, is in the format that you need it to be in. So that's kind of the second mode. And then the third one is data science. And that's kind of the unicorn that sits in the middle that does everything um, and mainly focused on math and mathematics and statistics and um, coding and being able to create a script. And so data scientists are taking those KPIs, um, what was created historically, and then actually predicting and projecting into the future of what it would look like and what if those KPIs will stand true or if, if they're going to change. Can you give us an example of sort of like insider information that BI or data science, you know, provides to a business? One of the big ones that I built at ESPN was the Fan Happiness Index. And so that was taking historical data, how college teams performed the weekend before, and, and creating a metric that explained who, who was the happiest and um, doing a lot of math and statistics specifically on, on crafting that story of, of who's the happiest. And we created seven metrics. As you obviously mentioned math, have to love math. What other interests or skills do you need to go into this field? Right. So I love that you say you have to love math. It's so, it's funny because I tell people, I'm very vocal about it. I actually hated math in high school. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Um, and I think that's because I, I was such an athlete. And so I focused on sports. It wasn't until my senior year in high school that I was able to work with the New Orleans Hornets at the time, the NBA team, and just realize how pivotal math and statistics was because um, instead of working with the marketing team, like I was originally supposed to, to, to job shadow, they stuck me with the stats guys. And it was like they, it was like they had a golden ticket in their hand going throughout the arena, meeting with the head coach, the president, the owner, the manager. It was nuts as a 17 year old watching that. And I was like, I want to work for a basketball team. I want to work in the NBA. What are you doing? Like why, 
like why is everyone respecting you and paying attention to you and um I don't know as a kid you just like notice things like that and so um that was my senior year and when I went off to, to college um I changed I made sure my entire um career of of my education at school was around sports management, statistics, and computer science to get those skills that I would need. So I think the most important thing actually in data work jobs is you have to love the data that you're playing with. Like I love sports. So I think everything else you can learn. I think the hard skills of coding like Python or R or the hard skills of learning math, statistics, um, things like that, I think can be learned. But if you don't have a passion for the numbers that you're looking at every day, then it's going to be really hard to, to put those skills on top of, on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. So what advice do you have for women interested in this field? Um, there aren't a large amount of women in this space yet? Yes, I was the only black woman in a 400 person department at ESPN. Um, I was the only one on my team of eight men. I feel like we put so much pressure, pressure on women specifically because the numbers are so low. Um, and telling them to go into a career and kind of forcing them like, hey, like, try to become a coder like all these guys out here when like hey what are you interested in like i think that's what we need to kind of focus our attention back on what are you interested in oh cool did you know that you can like go into this but also do data science or tech for this and then at that point it's like oh wow like this is a, a career that I can go into and eyes kind of light up so um that's kind of the advice that I would, I guess I would give to women, but also parents or, or mentors or anyone that um, has an influence over um, a girl or a woman, a woman in their, her life. Yeah, that's great advice. Really good advice. Um, and then you turned your talents to founding your own company. You saw a need, hear a story. Um, it's estimated that the NCAA name, image, and likeness rule change is going to create over a $1.1 billion market. And CureStory is one of the few approved platforms for students to use. Can you tell us about CureStory and the services you provide to athletes and other creators? Yeah, so we allow video creators to create, monetize, and distribute their videos to all of their social channels, 100% free. Um, so currently right now, um, if you wanna become a video creator, you try to start a YouTube channel and that's mainly what it is. And you go out and buy a bunch of video equipment, which is really hard when it comes to lighting, camera, audio, like the entire thing is, is super difficult. It's a a high barrier to entry um and specifically on the monetization side anytime someone skips an ad on youtube youtube doesn't pay you as a creator so and they do that on purpose they put that up so people have the option of skipping it um so when you think about that 
like monetization isn't fully owned by the creator. There are now four to five channels for a creator in video to post to. So we allow with Kara Story, they upload videos. There's easy drag and drop editing and music features. Um, they select the content category of the video. From that, we match it to brand advertisers for them to bid on their ad spots. That is recorded by a creator. Because um, how many times have you caught yourself listening to a podcast ad from the host and you just listen to it because you're already listening to that person anyway? Um, so essentially, that's what we do for video and just allowing them to fully control their their distribution, their ownership, and their monetization. And we're currently in private beta with um, pro athletes. We have a deal with the NBA. Um, the um, NFL and all other leagues are currently ongoing. Um, student athletes are onboarding once they're able to monetize, hopefully August 2021. And fitness content creators, um, some well-known creators, influencers that have really large YouTube channels and followings for fitness workouts. So that's essentially essentially what we do. And I'm so excited for this rule change just because I personally think it's going to benefit women the most, um, but also the entire industry is turning upside down right now with the creator economy, gig economy, influencer economy, um, and just individuals becoming brands and becoming businesses and being able to balance out the power a little bit more. Obviously you live in this space. Explain to me why it's going to be maybe more beneficial even for women. Yes. Yes. So women are no offense to men, but women are better content creators. Um, they are, we're better at telling our stories. Um, I feel like majority of us are more comfortable in front of the camera. Um, and just creating content. Um, so that reason, but then also for so long, exposure for female athletes has been largely left up to traditional media conglomerates. So ESPN, Fox, um, CBS, all of these media companies that just for some reason, one day decided that women's sports weren't as lucrative. And so um, because it was controlled so much by these media companies, of course, it's it's a cycle where, okay, you're not going to put us on the air. People aren't going to tune in because they can't and they're not going to support us. So we're not going to make revenue. But then because they're not making revenue, you're not going to put us on air. So it's just a cycle that has continuously happened for years. And just now you're seeing a break in that and numbers skyrocketing and the ESPN and these companies putting the NWSL and WNBA and all of these um, leagues, these, these female leagues on air because they have, I don't want to say it's causation, but these athletes have so many followers and they're building their own social capital and they don't have to rely anymore on a conglomerate, a brand to build social capital for them. So of course, ESPN executives, um, media executives, their ears are going to perk up when they see 
athletes like Chloe Ken um, or Megan Rapino or Sue Bird have these crazy large followings um, creating revenue for themselves and then wanting to put them on the air. So what advice do you have for some of those college athletes uh, looking to sort of build their brand and monetize off the name image likeness rule change? I would say it's just getting comfortable really owning your social media, hiring a brand manager if you want one, because now that'll be that'll be possible. You can't hire an agent still because it's amateurism, but you can hire a manager to help you with everything. Um, so I think just getting more comfortable with posting and shooting content um, and crafting your story. Like, what is it? What is the baseline and foundation and the story that you want to tell and put out in all of your content that is, is somewhat connected? I think that that is probably the key to audience development. So figuring out that story and that segment and, and who you are um, to be able to brainstorm content that people are tuning into all the time. It's tough. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's hard. It's a full-time gig. It's a, it's a business. So um, I think finding people to help you along the way to do that. Um, and with Kira's story, like we have athletes that we have athletes that don't have managers um, and they are grateful for our platform and, and really appreciate it because they're able to do everything um, that a manager essentially would do for them, but through Kira's story. And managers still use our platform for their clients too. We're not removing them. Um, we just make life easier. Cure story. Also, what we haven't talked about is connects brands to the athletes and vice versa, right? Athletes can pick brands and record for them. And then that brand can decide to pick up. So as a brand manager, I have to believe you're sort of helping them help their clients. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like on the brand side, our platform kind of looks a little bit like Netflix where we have recommended videos at the top based on those content categories. So a brand like Beyond Meat is going to be most interested in food, cooking, health and wellness content tags. So those are the first videos they see when they log in um, that they can bid to have ad spots for. Um, and then on the creator side, they can either accept, like they can review all the bids that come in, they can decline any ones that are below their price, their pricing, or um, that have conflicts with the brand contracts they have offline, or um, they can accept the highest bid. It's really up to them to accept that ad spot. So um, once they accept it, they record their own ad, the brand submits a script, logo, product link, affiliate link, whatever details they need to shoot a really good 15 second to one minute ad spot. And then they stitch that at a time in the video that makes sense. But yeah, it's super seamless platform, really easy to use. And managers are obsessed with it because they're able to get ad revenue for their creators so and their clients and their athletes. So we allow brands have to pay for videos over four months currently and it's not a flat fee so like we're debiting money in real time performance wise as the content is performing 
So brands are like eating that up because for so long they've had to just accept flat rates, flat fees from brands. Um, when really the mental model for them is to pay when things perform um, and like shut off campaigns when they don't want to keep paying for it anymore. So we allow that as well in the platform. Um, it's just, and there's, we, there's no capped pricey either. So it's great all around. I was just going to say, you've thought of everything like upside, upside, upside for everybody. Um, oh my gosh. I can't wait. I want to talk to you on this podcast in a year and we're going to reflect back. Oh my gosh. It's going to be so great. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about though, is representation within STEM within sports industries or, or rather the underrepresentation. You mentioned earlier about being, you know, the only woman at ESPN on your team. Um, there aren't very many black female programmers and then you choose to work in the sports industry on top of it. <laughs> so under, help me understand what that's like and what it's like to break down those barriers. Used to being the only one, but it still doesn't get easier. Um, and it's one of those things where it's just like, this is crazy. Why is it still like this? Um, so being the only woman officially on my team, there's now, since I've left, there's now one that um, is on the team with eight men. So it's like replace. Um, but I was the only black woman in a 400 person department and to the, to the point where before I got hired, people knew that I was coming. Like it, like it was a thing. And, um, I thought that that was extremely interesting because you clearly know that you're the only one, but then they clearly know that you're the only one too. So that would just permeate me being at ESPN um, and kind of that actually happening. And I, I purposely went into this career, honestly, to try and change that a little bit. I, as a 17 year old, like brown eyed, bushy tailed, noticing how these stats guys got so much respect. Part of me was like, oh, that's so cool. Like the young part of me, but also like other side of me that my parents taught me to never be naive to just who I am and what I look like. Numbers are, are cold. Numbers are factual. As a kid, I was thinking like, okay, for me to get a job and to be taken seriously, if I have the same numbers as these guys, like no one can really ignore me, right? Like if I, if I coded a model and I built something exactly like you, like why, like how can you discriminate me or how, can you kind of ignore um, what I bring to the table? And so that's largely the reason why I went into this career. Um, and it's also why I advocate for more women and BIPOC to go into this career because tech is an innovative game. Um, but yeah, it's extremely lonely. And that's part of the reason why I quit and why I left because I was stranded, not stranded, but I was in the middle of nowhere, Connecticut, which is where ESPN is. Um, and it's kind of this like, I don't know, this white utopia where 
there aren't people of color. There aren't a lot of women at ESPN. Um, and my life kind of flashed before my eyes. Um, I met with two of the highest ranking black females in the company. Um, and just, they were so open and vulnerable with me. Like they do this all the time. Um, and just explaining like, Hey, this is what it is. This is how it is. Like there are times in my life where I've been extremely unhappy and it's, it's really hard. Um, so you just kind of have to decide if this is the path that you want to go down. And the fact that like a 40 year old woman is like having this conversation with like a 20 year old. Um, I think I was like 21 or 22 when I got to ESPN. Um, it's just overwhelming. <laughs> so uh, about two years or a year in to ESPN, I was just like, okay, I definitely don't want to be here forever. Um, I want to come here, do what I can do to make it a little bit easier and change what I can change. But if there's no way to progress or move up or, or um, to have people on your team kind of respect you, like what, what can you do? So it's really hard. It's this, it's this helpless feeling. And the only, the only thing that I felt like I could do was to leave and to build a company that was extremely diverse. And you are intentional, right? About building diversity within your story. Yeah, we have, I think something like 80% of our team are either BIPOC or women. So um, very intentional, like extremely intentional, building this culture of accountability, but vulnerability and kind of showing up with your full self at work and not being ashamed of that. And um, even though we have differences, we can still we can still chat or find at least some common ground. Um, and of course, if you don't want to fully bring your entire life to work, that's totally fine too. But just finding a common ground where everyone just feels like they're not the only ones, essentially. I'm excited, uh, again, flash forward. I'm excited for you to start to get the accolades for the diversity amongst your team for a couple of reasons. Recruiting, everybody's like, we don't, we can't find these women. We can't find these BIPOC people. Like, okay, well, first of all, you found them. <laughs> Secondly, they are going to do things that have never been done before. They are building a platform, building a service, building a company. It's gonna shake things up. It's gonna show people the power of a diverse team, what can happen in tech when you bring these people together and right. give them that voice? It's, I'm so excited for you to show the world. What yeah, done. totally. Um, cause it, it, it really isn't a pipeline problem. It's, it's, it's a, it's a human problem of, do I feel comfortable enough hiring this person because I have nothing, because it, because on the surface, it seems like I have nothing in common. And I, being in recruiting, see and hear, oh, we need to hire, we need to hire, we need to hire. Hiring isn't the problem. Creating a culture on the team in the company where you're not made to be an other, where you feel as though you are seen for who you are and valued and can contribute and 
and, and show yourself and be yourself, that's where diversity, equity, inclusion needs to permeate an organization in a way that allows for everyone to just be valued and, and not minimized based on any category that they may identify yeah, with. Yeah, completely right? agree. And building a startup, having control and being CEO and founder, like that's, it's great. I, it's phenomenal, but there are still, there's still a ceiling a little bit. Um, but I think it's, well, we yeah. talked about this, like you, I mean, there's only 9% of businesses that are black owned and 1% of black owned businesses receive VC funding. I mean, we talk about numbers and we talk about you were in a situation where you were, you know, maybe um, one of the only, you stepped into being an entrepreneur and starting a company. And again, you are one of very few people doing that. I mean, what do those numbers tell us? Oh, I, I, such a loaded question. No, I, it's hard. Um, when I went out to raise our first pre-seed round, personally, I didn't know what, like, I didn't know where to go. I think every founder kind of has this, like, what do I do? But specifically women in BIPOC, because um, it's, A, I didn't have anyone in my network that was wealthy that I could just hit up for checks or things like that. B, I tried go the route of raising from funds gotta know there was a point for six months I was just learning so much information I'm still learning so much but I feel like I have my footing a little bit more now because I understand the industry a lot since I've been in it for two years at this point but um it's just grinding it out until the cards are in your favor um and you're able to really become a profitable business and and gain so much traction and then just raise that growth capital and continue to to grow well we are to the point in our podcast where we have some rapid fire questions are you ready for a yes. quick round i right. am favorite female athlete oh easy serena williams it's not even a question there we go best sporting event you ever attended Oh, LSU football versus Georgia back in like 2009. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. And I can't wait a year from now to be, you know, looking back at this recording and, and uh, see how far that you've come. But just a quick plug, if you are a student athlete, know a student athlete, pro athlete, YouTuber, sports creator, health fitness brand, go to curastory.co, check out their amazing products and the help that they provide. They can help you create, monetize, distribute your video. This is going to be a game changer for so many people. And I can't wait to watch you and your team. Uh, grow uh, this organization and um, thrive. So thank you so much. Thank you. And that's a wrap. 
Thank you for listening to the Her Next Play Power Chat Podcast. We hope you've been inspired to become part of our community and join us in our mission to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. You can help support us by heading to our website at www.hernextplay.org to join our booster club as a donor or a volunteer. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Her Next Play to learn more about our programs and upcoming events. We'll be back soon for the next Power Chat.